Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls and everyone who identifies as neither, my absolutely gorgeous degenerate angels, did you miss me? I was gone, but hopefully I was not forgotten. And hopefully absence has made the heart grow fonder because goddamn am I happy to be back in front of this microphone talking to myself, criminally under-medicated, coming through your airwaves with Tales of Taboo season motherfucking two. Wow. For our brand new listeners or those of you who consciously uncoupled from me for a while, and especially for the stands who just want to hear me talk, please allow me to reintroduce myself. My name is Ali Weiss. I am a Z-list performer and writer born and raised in downtown New York City who's got a lifelong obsession with any and all people, ideas, and experiences that make society freak out or shudder in disgust, or search for Jesus. In other words, the things that we all talk and think about behind closed doors, but have been discouraged from talking about publicly because it's quote-unquote rude, or shameful, or scandalous. This show is an exploration of those subjects, but specifically through anonymous stories from our listeners all over the world who have actually experienced them and can talk about them firsthand. And every once in a while, I will bring on one particular guest who's lived a less common existence out loud and proud in the hopes that it will encourage more people to rid themselves of any sort of self-consciousness little domino effect. But my work isn't just about getting rid of the concept of shame. It also creates a rare space for anonymity in the digital age. And it explores our simultaneous communal desire to be heard, but just not always seen. So let's get into it. <clears throat> For my season one listeners, you might remember that Tales of Taboo started with some truly insane stories from former employees of wealthy and powerful people. And when I was casting that, I got a bunch of submissions from nannies, which I put aside knowing even then that I wanted to give them their own episode. Um, People abusing their nannies and their caretakers strikes a particular nerve with me because of how close I was to mine growing up. My mom was really, really involved in raising me, but she was also an attorney and had clients to go back to pretty shortly after I was born. So for 15 years of my life, starting from the literal day I came out of her womb, my nanny was my third parent. I never, ever saw her as hired help. You know, this, this was my protector. This was my authority figure. And Andy was Jamaican and God fearing and the literal creator of the concept of tough love. Like, holy shit, could she be scary? But she was also incredibly tender and nurturing. And I think the most special thing about, about our relationship is um, because she knew me when I was a child. Andy is actually one of the few people who saw the side of me that I identify as my real personality. Um, I've talked about this before, but you know, if you take away all the showmanship, what's left is someone who's a little shy and um, a little clingy and bookwormy, certainly very bookwormy and quite sensitive. 
And these are my parts of, sorry, these are my, Jesus Christ, these are parts of my personality. Thank you. Remember what I said about being criminally undermedicated. These are parts of my personality that I totally shut down when I went through puberty um, in order to protect myself. And she nurtured that as much as she nurtured my eventual need to tell jokes and to solicit a big reaction and be this total ham. Like, I'll never forget how she used to wait outside the preschool classroom for me all day because I was terrified of her leaving. And when I was in middle school and I was being bullied, she gave me this really tender, sage advice about the true meaning of friendship. And of course, you know, before that and in between, there were all of those nights of bathing me and putting me into my pajamas and feeding me and getting into bed with me. And because of those formative years, even when I see her now, because I still do, I immediately feel home. Like that woman is my fucking family. And you know, when my parents decided it didn't make sense to employ her anymore when I was 15 and my brother was 10, it was a heartbreak for all of us. It truly felt like I was losing a parent and she was losing a child. All of us cried. And, you know, most of my classmates in private school who had nannies had similarly close relationships with them. But for the people who are uber wealthy, like the people who have so much money to manage that the idea of managing their actual children takes up too much time on their schedule. From these submissions, it seems to be a radically different story. And why is this? You know, it it baffles and angers me that these types of parents are quick to hire other adults to take care of what's supposed to be their most precious asset, which is their children but are even more quick to dispose of and abuse them. And more than that, in disposing of and abusing them, they completely disregard what it feels like for the nanny to lose the children and not just vice versa. We hear plenty of stories in self-help books and in the media and on female centric podcasts, you know, we hear so many stories and, and, and so much advice about the trials and the tribulations of parenting. But this never comes from parental figures who are more involved than the parents, but aren't actually biological parents. And especially in 2022, this strikes me as weird. Um, since you guys know I love any topic that people shy away from discussing, I decided this was the perfect way to kick off season two of Tales of Taboo. So without further ado, let's get into it. And welcome back. Submission number one. I worked for billionaire hedge fund manager Dan Loeb in his Columbus Circle penthouse and 25,000 square foot East Hampton home. I went through an agency and interviewed with their assistant. I nannied three kids with two other nannies and, if I remember correctly, made about $1,300 a week. One was the baby nurse for a three-year-old, but she didn't help at all and was the cause of a lot of the issues. During the school year, it was a dream. 2 to 7 p.m., mostly school pickup and getting them to their activities. But summer was horrific when I was living. 
full days, 7 a.m. to 8 p.m., and hosting playdates and parties on the weekends. Super exhausting. Go, go, go. As a summer live-in, we rotated the guest bedroom in their Hamptons house. If you were on night duty, you would sleep on the couch outside the children's bedrooms to act as a barrier if they got up at night so that they wouldn't disturb the parents. Dan and his wife hated being around the kids. Their mom would quote-unquote do yoga for hours on end. She definitely favored the son and hated her middle daughter. It was so upsetting to watch her talk to her daughter so hatefully. Part of our responsibility was laying in bed with the daughter until she fell asleep, but half the time it would be her crying herself to sleep because all she wanted was her mom to put her to bed. She would also go, isn't my mom so mean? Don't you think she's mean? But then if we agreed, she'd tell on us. The mom would frequently pass off the crying toddler in the morning and say, XX is so much better at changing you than me. She once woke up and all three kids were asking her questions, so she screamed at all of them, slammed the door in their faces, and yelled at us to handle them. The kids were horrific, no redeeming qualities. The older son was physically harmful to the staff and his siblings. My coworker I was closest to finally left after he straight up punched her and gave her a black eye. I had to pull him off beating his younger sister more than once. The kids would poke and hit me in front of the parents and say things like, ooh, you're going to get fired. The son would set traps for me like shampoo and liquid soap on the inside of my bedroom door for me to slip and fall and crumple up food in my bed. The kids knew we were hired help and treated us as such. Dan and his wife bought us all house shoes to wear, and the housekeeping staff were not allowed to clean in a room they were occupying. If the mom was approaching the Hamptons' house, the housekeepers would scramble to pick up all of their cleaning supplies and leave before she came inside. The mom would wake up and make coffee for herself and open every single cabinet door and drawer and leave them open. I truly mean every single one. Dan would occasionally come in and scream at the staff to shake things up, tell them all the things they're doing that are unacceptable. He had one staff member who worked for him as a housekeeper for over 10 years, but he would call her, hey, you, instead of her name to make a point. The craziest thing I ever had to do was wipe Naomi Watts's kid's ass when he would come for playdates. He was a sweetheart, but also like five, so it was weird since he wasn't a toddler anymore. Naomi and Liev were around a lot and absolute dolls. Jessica Alba started coming around when I was leaving. I also went to a Central Park playground kids party with Jerry Seinfeld. Overall, I was treated like the devil wears Prada. I knew I was capable and experienced and super on brand for these types of high profile families and would have continued to do what I was doing, but the mental health toll was not okay. I had panic attacks and cried a lot. The agency wasn't supportive either. They just wanted their cut of the check because it was the highest salary they had ever negotiated for, so it was more important to them that I stayed. They even set me up with a nanny therapist of sorts to help me navigate the position and keep me on. Mostly the sessions were, quote, you need to know that you're doing this to make money and pay off student loans. I finally left after the mom berated me in front of the kids while they were physically attacking me. The night nurse was also aggressive towards me to a point that I secretly started recording her. The next time I left to go home, I never went back and emailed them my resignation. The other nanny who I was friendly with did inform me the mom cried out of frustration, which honestly felt great. 
I'm close with other moms I've nannied for, and Margaret Loeb has a known reputation for being a complete horror show to both staff and general people around her. I'll trash them until the cows come home. Even professionally, Dan gets dragged by people like George Clooney for the way he operates his business. Ironically enough, I still technically have to interact with this couple in my non-nanny career as I work in a different but still very high-profile sector. I worked for the Grimes family. The mother, Wendy Grimes, is the direct and only heir to the Four Sixes Ranch, which is also Burnett Oil. I was a nanny for their daughter. I started nannying her when she was 13, all the way up until she was 18. I definitely felt like when it was me and the child, I was her third parent. I, I say third parent, but I really felt like I was her first parent. She really was like my child. I mean, like I raised her. I like taught her how to put on tampons. I talked to her about boys. I talked to her about cleaning her acne. Um, I was with her when she was learning to drive. I definitely felt like me and her were for sure family. When the parents were around, it was sort of hit or miss. Um, they went out of their way to kind of like call me their second daughter or to sort of make me feel not like the hired help in the beginning. I was their friend and I did meet them as a friend. It was sort of, I guess, maybe them putting on a front. So in the beginning, they actually did a pretty good job of making me feel like I was kind of included in the family aspect. The kid was definitely aware of her economic difference from the general population. Everyone kind of knew how much money she had, even though she tried to pretend like she was downplaying it. When she was about to turn 18, we kind of went out to lunch one day and she told me she was having some sort of like existential crisis because she said, tomorrow I turn 18 and I'm going to be a billionaire. And so that was kind of interesting to sort of see her reflect in that way. There really weren't any strict rules about what I could and couldn't do around my bosses. They were really heavy drinkers and they always kind of like wanted me to drink with them. I guess they were very anti-drugs, although the mom had like a serious pill popping issue and a serious drinking issue, but I never actually did drugs around them, but I do suspect that there was there were drugs being done. One of my boss's like craziest habits <laughs> is that she had, so she had personal shoppers and things of that sort. And she always had to have four of every product. So, and like lined up like in her cabinets. So like her face moisturizer, when she would take a new one and like start using it. And so it was on her counter, the um, housekeeper or her personal assistant would have to like run into the bathroom while she was out doing her own stuff and make sure that every, that they replenished the, the item that she took from the shelves. She was always on a, (laughs) always on some new sort of like fad diet and was always kind of pushing them onto me. And I developed a really unhealthy relationship with food in my time working with them. And it just, every time I saw the mom, the more weight that I lost, the more compliments she would give me or she would buy me new clothing. If 
she saw me and she felt like my clothing was too big. She was like, okay, use the card and go out and buy like five different outfits. So my relationship with food got really weird being around her because she also had a weird relationship with food. There were a lot of perks. When I got hired, I got a credit card um, and the mom really didn't give me any rules. She was just like, when you guys go out to eat, whatever you need while you're on that trip, you buy it with my card and you save the receipts and you'll send them in. We got to go on yachts. Um, we got to go get our nails done. Um, we would fly on one of their three private planes. I could eat like anywhere I wanted to. So I got to do some really nice dining, not on my own dime. Um, and the mom would like write out suggestions and like places for me to go to eat in the Hamptons or to go and eat in West Palm Beach. One of the craziest parts of working for them is that they are, I don't even want to call them Republicans because it's so far, it's so deep, much deeper than that. They're major Trump supporters, very, very close with Ted Cruz. And so there was one time where the mom like flew into where we were from. She'd just been at the White House and she'd been bowling at the White House and was telling me about what a great person Trump was. And she was always trying to bait me into these political conversations. And I just knew better than to even go there with her because I'm so far on the other end of the spectrum. Uh, but I do remember that one time she told me that the history books have everything wrong because it was really the Indians who were killing the pilgrim settlers and the history books just wrote it all wrong, that the Indians were actually really aggressive and it was the white people who were in danger. She also made a comment when we were touring the town in Palm Beach where they lived. She made a disclaimer to me about the synagogue that was nearby and that they're just to be careful because there were a lot of Jews. Unbeknownst to her, I am Jewish. My mom's Jewish. And I kind of made sure to slide into the into the conversation at one point that my family is Jewish and it never stopped her. She still made comments all the time about Jewish people and how terrible they were and how you couldn't trust them and how loud they are and basically every stereotype. I was invited to go have dinner at one of Trump's former attorney's houses. And so I was like sitting there and talking to him and that was really crazy. He left in like a major scandal. And so it was just so crazy to, to be there and like be around his family. And it was somebody that I had seen in the news nonstop and that I did not think very highly of. And I still don't think very highly of him. So my salary at the beginning, I'm like, I, I don't know how much to charge for this. Um, and the mom was like, okay, well, how about if we give you $80,000 a year and we also do, you know, bonuses and that kind of stuff. And so we ended up settling to around like $90,000 a year, which if you tell anybody like, oh, I'm a nanny and I make $90,000 a year plus bonuses. So I'm making essentially six figures. You think that it's a lot. And then you start to realize that, okay, I'm on call 24 hours a day. I am raising this child. I'm responsible for her well-being. Um, I can't go out and hang out with friends. It was good pay, but for something that intense, if I were to take the job again, I would definitely ask for way more money. For three years, I was the house manager and nanny for Hugh and Roxanne Vanderbilt. Yes, 
that Vanderbilt family. I met them while I was the manager for my uncle's children's shoe store off of the Avenue in Greenwich, Connecticut. They frequently came in for their children, William and Carolyn, and I developed a positive relationship with them. I was out of college but was just shy of my bachelor's degree and taking on as much extra work as I could. I had a sign displayed in my uncle's store letting parents know I was available for babysitting during the evenings, and the rest was history. At first, it was just babysitting the kids here and there, but then graduated to two to four nights a week. I had plans to return to school, but my uncle's store took up quite a large amount of my time. The Vanderbilts and I developed such a positive relationship that they offered to let me live in the apartment above their garage in exchange for working for them as their house manager and nanny, and I could arrange my classes around their schedule. They agreed to meet my salary. Not only what my uncle was paying me, but school costs too. And I received more than one bonus throughout the years I was with them. My day-to-day mostly consisted of getting the children ready and off to school in the mornings, then after-school activities and feeding them dinner. Many nights, Roxanne would return home just as the children would be nearing bedtime, so she would put them down. If the family was going out of town for extended periods of time or long weekends, I'd house it to make sure the property was taken care of while they were gone. There weren't strict rules, just the standard ones you'd expect of anyone watching your children or your home. I did eventually receive a credit card that had no limit to use for family-related purchases. The most decadent perk was flying on their private jet to their private island in Canada or to their ski resort home in Wyndham, New York. Their private island is pretty incredible. No neighbors anywhere. Hugh's grandfather had purchased the island back in the Prohibition era, so he and his pals could go up there and party without having to worry. There were a few good parties here and there, but the best was the Greenwich International Film Festival, where I met Reese Witherspoon. She was lovely. Honestly, they had no outrageous habits or binge spending or anything like that. They're a pretty wonderful family who truly know how to spend their money on the things that matter for their family as much as their community. And wine. All the wine. They have a beautiful and extensive wine cellar and collection. Traveling on that jet made me want to pursue my dreams of becoming a pilot. Hugh began planting seeds in my head, and I was already back in school for engineering. He even let me fly the plane once. I will be eventually moving down to Daytona, Florida to attend Embry Ridge Aeronautical University. The school itself came recommended to me by Hugh and his other pilot friend who had joined the family in Canada one weekend. Being a pilot was always on my bucket list, but I had never truly envisioned it happening until meeting and working for Hugh. I would absolutely recommend working for them in any capacity. It was a stepping stone in the grand scheme, but a life-changing choice. As far as more money, more problems, I'd say this family is one of the rare exceptions. Of course they have problems. Every family does. But considering their wealth and status... I'd say they are an inspiration for what hard work, wealth, and family dynamics should look like. I've been a New York City manny or male nanny for the better part of a decade. And my most recent gig lasted about three years. I got the job through one of the many New York City nanny agencies I'm a member of, and each of them have their own specific requirements for caregivers to be a part of the network. These agencies do the candidate screening for the parents, so all they have to do is pay for the service and essentially pick which nanny is their favorite. With my most recent gig, I was exposed to wealth 
past a point I had ever seen. That meant elevators and homes, a private school that provided a kumbaya atmosphere for the kids attending, a super sad attempt to keep these rich kids grounded in their uh, reality. There were private jets to private islands, a full staff maintaining the home, a chef, several housekeepers, multiple nannies, a dog walker. You name it, they had it. And they were definitely keeping up this Stepford persona. They tried so hard to fit in with the badassery of New York City, which was, at the time, the newest addition to their catalog of homes. They really wanted their kids to be, quote unquote, normal, while they bragged about how they lived on the most expensive block in New York City. I did a combination of living in and living out with the family, depending on which home uh, or which vacation we were going to next. But once the pandemic hit, I was essentially condemned by another employee to expect to never leave their side. They did not know how to cope with the reality of the situation. So I ended up abandoning my New York City life and apartment and prioritizing their needs. I ended up losing that apartment and they ended up skipping town to a new home without me. I was initially hired to be an extra set of hands for this family. Uh, and they had way too many kids of various ages and all with varying interests. They were always two nannies on roster so that they felt like they had an anchor and that we, the nannies, could cover each other in the event hours, the hours required by them exceeded what one person could actually handle. My main focus when starting the position was how to fill a 12-hour day of children. So I invented things to do with the kids. We would visit local attractions, depending on which home we were at. I'd take them out for meals or accompany the parents to sit-down restaurants and excursions. It essentially felt like being in a throuple. And as I began to create a routine for them, the days moved faster. To say the kids were difficult and challenging, though, is a complete understatement. And they were like full-blown adults already, not in size or age, but what they expected from other humans, humans they knew that their parents paid to be there. They were definitely super smart and caring when they wanted to be, but they also knew what to say and how to say it in order to stomp on someone's ego with their own game of get whatever I want. The kids often absentmindedly called me dad instead of my actual name. And while the dad was physically present most of the time, I did begin to wonder why that Freudian slip happened so often. It became so frequent, specifically with the youngest child, that I began to comedically retort, that's not my name. I also chalked this up to how good of a job I was doing. For not only was I there to emotionally support them in a way their parents could not, I was watching them discover how difficult their environment would be to grow up in. The kids asked me things like, why do you have roommates? Or why don't you like to waste food? Or why do you always wear the same clothes? I was always honest with them about my financial circumstance, for I was reminded by staff that these kids would benefit to have someone with my background in their life. In their eyes, I was an impoverished person of color. I like to joke that the parents only kept nannies so that they had someone to blame when things went wrong. But regardless, I idolized them. The kids did too. They exuded a certain power and confidence I wish I had. Of course, there were many perks with the position as well. It was fun to drive their fancy cars. They always paid for my food or included me in their family dinners. It felt cool to have a seat at the table in this way. I was also paid to travel with them, which happened several times. And those paychecks were always a jaw dropper. 
As I mentioned, we flew by private jets, stayed at fancy resorts I could never afford. I met political operatives I'd only seen on CNN, super successful, super wealthy artists I could only dream of becoming, real estate moguls, famous comedians, you name it, they had a six degree separation from it, and they were not scared to name drop. The craziest information lobbed at me uh, came from one of their employees, a house manager, for lack of a better title, was given stake to their estate and their kids in the event of their untimely passing, a position I always assumed was given to family or friends. In the parents' eyes, I think they think they treated me like a king. And they did take care of me in many ways. They taught me to know my own worth, to advocate for myself when necessary, and not to take life so seriously. I felt like I found a real voice with them. And for the first chunk of time, even through all the chaos, I felt like I found mentors. My energy began to dwindle. I began joking with friends how I felt like their flotation device in the sea of depression and even the money I was making started to feel dirty. That's why when another employee, this house manager I had mentioned, presented me with the idea of training under her uh, wing, I jumped on the opportunity. It was a chance to phase myself out of what was becoming a really sticky situation, and I knew these kids were getting older and they wouldn't need me much longer. Early on in this training, this person shit-talked the parents to me. She exposed their marital problems, warned me out of the blue to not trust them, saying they would turn and stab me in the back without notice. So when she took over my payroll, I should have known things would go awry. Early in the winter of 2020, I had worked my first round in this new position that took me weeks to train for. Um which I worked a a total of like 120 hours in one week. It was crazy. I told myself the money would be worth it. So when this house manager cut me off the payroll a week before Christmas, I began to worry, of course, what we would all. And then it took two weeks for me to be paid for those crazy amount of hours that I had worked. And when I advocated for myself about not being paid, I was fired. I was never able to say goodbye to the kids. Okay, my angels, for anyone who's been following or listening to me for a while, you'll know that my clonopin usage from ADHD and anxiety has become kind of a running joke. Hilariously, a lot of you have begged me to try CBD as a healthier replacement, which has distinct overprotective Jewish mom energy, and I'm here for it. The thing is, I have tried so many products over the past few years, and none of them were strong enough for me, which made me feel really discouraged and also mm, insane. But I recently tried Feels, spelled F-E-A-L-S, and I swear to God, This is the only brand that actually works well enough to reduce my anxiety and my pill usage. The packaging is also super glamorous because we all know that matters, and they have a customer service team willing to answer literally any question you have about CBD as it relates to your health. I swore I would never promote CBD on this show, but I know a lot of you are also struggling with your mental health, and I want to help. So if you become a Feels member, I hooked it up for you to get 50% off your first order. Not 10%, not 20%, but 50% off your first order. Go to feels.com slash Allie W to become a member. That's F-E-A-L-S dot com slash Allie W and get 50% off your first order with free shipping. Trust me and you're welcome. When I was in high school, I was a nanny for a super rich family with generational big pharma wealth. 
This was also in the Midwest, so money goes a long way in this part of the country. I got the job through a family friend who knew they were looking for a new sitter and recommended me. But this gig was very different from the occasional date night babysitting jobs I was taking otherwise. This was five days a week, sometimes weekends, and required me to pick the kids up from two different schools and drive them to their after-school enrichments. In hindsight, it makes me laugh so much. I was fresh out of my driving test, which took me two tries to pass, and was driving wealthy children all over town in my broke 2000 Toyota. Also, I didn't have a smartphone and would literally print out MapQuest directions to get everywhere. After picking them up and taking them to various activities, I would return back to the house to complete task lists left for me before going back out to pick the kids back up. When we would get home, I would feed them, help with homework, play games, and get them ready for bed, all while the parents were still home. I'd then check in with the parents, recap what I did that day, and then go home to focus on my own homework and get ready for my own school day. I was part of a fleet of family employees. This fleet of workers included a grocery shopper whose sole purpose was to keep the fridge and pantry stocked and organized. There were also three maids who were there frequently, two other nannies who worked different hours than me, an interior decorator slash art collector who would come to rotate and refresh art on the walls consistently, and a chef that would be there a couple days a week. The environment was unlike anything I have ever seen. I was at their estate daily, which required a code to a private fence to enter the property, probably around 10 acres of land. On their land, they had a full barn with horses, a garden house, a pool house, a guest house, and then the main mansion. There were a bunch of golf carts to get around the property faster. The mansion was five stories. It had three kitchens, an elevator, movie theater, gym, sauna room, cigar room, pool room, wine cellar, garage for car collection, and honestly more. I can't even remember. Each kid had their own room complete with their own laundry room, as if they'd ever do their own laundry, bathroom, and closet room. Not your typical closet, an actual room. On weekends, when I would do the occasional overnight job, I would stay in the guest house where I also had my own kitchen, laundry room, closet room, etc. I would literally lose the kids in the house sometimes or not be able to find them. So I would go on the intercom and tell them to report to the second floor kitchen. There weren't any strict rules that I can think of, but one thing that sticks out in my memory is how they wouldn't take no for an answer. Shortly after taking the job, I was getting overwhelmed with my own schoolwork and felt like I wasn't able to keep up. I was also consistently late in picking up the kids from school because their school was 30 minutes away from mine and I would have to leave immediately after my school bell. When I said I felt like it wasn't working out, they called my school and requested a schedule change so that I would have open study hall as my last class and would be able to leave at 2.15 instead of 3 p.m. and be on time to get their kids. My school made it happen without any issues. I don't think anyone knew I left school early to go be a babysitter. It's also weird to me that my own parents didn't question this. As far as perks go, they were constantly giving me cash for the kids' activities in addition to my paycheck. They would give me like 300 bucks to take the kids to a movie and tell me to keep the change. That was awesome because a movie ticket was like $7 a person and there were only two kids. I would save my paycheck for college and spend this extra cash on things to treat myself. 
I bought my first pair of Lululemon pants with leftover movie money and felt so fancy. This is also how I was able to buy my first iPhone. I came from a really modest upbringing and luxury for me was getting an iPhone. It felt like a huge deal. In general, I was treated like family. They really valued me and cared for me and I grew close with them. They contributed to my college fund and we're still friends today. But there were definitely moments where their behaviors reflected their wealth. The kids would act extremely entitled. For the most part, I loved them, but at times if they were mad at me or disagreeing, they would say things like, you work for me. Coming out of a first grader's mouth, it sounds so demoralizing and belittling. I also drove a really shitty hand-me-down car that I would have to park in the back during parties or functions. And the third grader would make fun of me for it and say things like, why don't you just get a car like my mom's? Can't you afford it? No, kid, I can't afford a Porsche Cayenne. And she actually had two of those, and that wasn't even part of their car collection. The mom eventually asked that I drive her car when driving the kids, which I always wondered was for looks or safety reasons. The kids would also comment on the school I went to and ask why I wasn't at their prep school. There were definitely times where the wealth gap was indescribable and weird, to say the least. I had one foot in that world and felt like I had to talk and act like I belonged, but I was so, so many worlds away from it at the same time. I never felt like I made it. I actually felt even more lower class than I was, and it made me hyper-focused on the opportunities I didn't have growing up. In a way, ignorance is bliss. After I started working there, I was always fixated on what I was wearing, what I was saying, and trying to blend in or act the part. But part of me also felt sad for them. I got the sense that everyone wanted to be close to them for their money, and I wonder if they ever second-guessed who their real friends were. In hindsight, I do think this experience affected my mental health in more ways than one. The wealth exposure was one way, but I also didn't spend my high school years focused on building friendships, and that's something I've always been self-conscious about. I'd come home for holidays and have no one to meet up with because I never made that a priority. Maybe that's not such a huge deal, though, but I feel like I sacrificed part of my youth for this experience. On the other hand, I'm thankful for this time of my life because I got so many opportunities for being close to this family. They helped me get my first internship and help me go to college. I've been working in this world for a little more than five years. I first started as a live-in nanny for an ultra-wealthy finance family. I worked there for almost two years. My second job was as a family assistant for an equally wealthy family. The dad was in real estate and entertainment, and mom's a doctor. I was there for less than a year. I was then the PA for a billionaire, he founded a very famous food company, and I was there for almost a year, and I currently work as a nanny assistant for a venture capitalist who is also in the entertainment space. I got these jobs through agencies, with the exception for the position I held with the billionaire. His HR team actually contacted me on LinkedIn. The majority of the positions were in the homes, so they were pretty informal they were all in mansions in the Upper East Side. For my live-in nanny role, I had my own suite on one of the floors and the family lived on the other floor. And then in one of my other roles in the Upper East Side, the family owned a five-floor townhouse. For the position that I held with the billionaire, it was either in his headquarters, sometimes his home, or wherever in the world we were at. Travel was always a component to these positions. And so I would get to go to 
the most beautiful places around the world. I would go to like the Caribbean. I would go to Europe. I would travel domestically and I would always stay at five star hotels. I wouldn't have a like per diem limit so I could spend as much money as I wanted to on like food, room service, whatever. I remember one time when I was a live-in nanny, I stayed at a Four Seasons or a Four Seasons equivalent with the family and the room service bill for myself and the three kids were was over like $15,000 for a 10-day trip, which was so insane when I saw it, but the parents didn't even blink an eye. I always attended parties, fundraisers, award ceremonies. I would also help my boss host them. And so I met many interesting, famous, successful people, many of them celebrities, socialites, CEOs, even royalty. Very rarely have I met someone where like their public persona matched what their personality was like when the cameras weren't on. One time I did get to see John Legend give a private performance and I was like maybe five feet from him and I thought that was like a pretty surreal experience. But then I met him afterwards and I didn't think he was that great. So all of my employers have had crazy habits. Uh, One of my favorite stories to tell is when I was a live-in nanny for a family. The mom had three kids and she had three nannies, two during the week and one on the weekend. She had a full-time housekeeper, she had a chef, and she had a driver. She didn't work. She was a stay-at-home mom. She would go to bed at six in the morning and wake up around four. She would spend her nights gossiping on the phone and online shopping. I mean, every day, like, there were packages coming from Net-A-Porter, Bergdorf's, I mean, any sort of like luxury store. Her closet was easily worth like $5 million. She rarely left the house. She wore sweatpants 95% of the time, but then she had the most like outrageous clothing. The chef would make her chicken tenders and that was like pretty much it. She would eat Eggo waffles for breakfast at 4 p.m. every day, but she wouldn't really eat anything that the chef made if it wasn't for like fried unhealthy foods. She was extremely cheap with staff. So if she or her husband didn't use something, they would rather that food be thrown out than give it to their employees. And then for the position that I held with the billionaire, he wasn't actually as outrageous of a spender as you would think. He was very humble when it came to like the clothing choices. He didn't want anything that had like a Prada logo. I could get him a Prada shirt, but it just, it couldn't say the logo on the outside. He didn't want to come off as like too flashy. He had severe dietary restrictions. I mean, that was like a full-time job just managing that. One week he'd be gluten-free, the next week he would be dairy-free. He was just always switching like the vitamins that he was taking. One week he would like love some type of food that I would get him. And then the next week he would act like he's always hated it and didn't understand why I was giving that to him for lunch. There's also a story where when I was a living nanny, the kids didn't have to eat vegetables. They could eat whatever they wanted. And one of the children had never had a vegetable in their entire life. They had had like a carrot when they were a kid and that was it. And the mom really wanted that child to have a vegetable. And so she told him that if he ate a vegetable, 
she would buy him this like $10,000 drone and he still wouldn't eat the vegetable. With my live-in nanny position, um, I was paid a base salary of, I think about 65,000, but with overtime, I was making six figures. In other positions that involved childcare, I was paid around 60, 70,000. And when I was the personal assistant to a billionaire, I was making around 115, I would say. And in my current position, I'm making less money because I'm not in the same location as my other positions. I'm part-time and I make in the 60s, which is obviously like very nice for the hours that I'm working. I don't think I ever really had a true work-life balance. In these types of positions, you really are on their beck and call 24-7. When I was a live-in nanny, I was there from Sunday night to Friday night and would go home on the weekend. So I really was home for like a day and a half. And I found that during this time, I was pretty unhappy because I wasn't able to make or even see my friends. You're just always on call and receiving requests. When I was a personal assistant for the billionaire, that was like a true 24-7 position. If I would go somewhere where I knew service wasn't going to be the best, I would get really anxious. Even when I would like go out for drinks, I would be hesitant to like let loose and like get drunk because what if this person needs something? I found that the pressure cooker type environments have absolutely created like this debilitating anxiety. For a long time, I had difficulty sleeping on Sundays. I would have to like drink red wine or take like melatonin because the anxiety and fear of like what's to come on Monday would just keep me up at night. I was depressed. Now I'm on antidepressants and I'm in, I'm in therapy and that has helped tremendously. But in these jobs, you almost feel like you have Stockholm syndrome and the ups and the downs and never knowing where you stand absolutely can make you insecure. It can make you fearful. I definitely feel like I have trauma that I didn't have before I started these positions. I worked as a nanny for six years before changing careers. I worked with a lot of high net worth people, but the most notable was a hedge fund family where I only lasted four months. I found the job through a nanny agency. The screening process was super short, which isn't typical, because usually families want you to trial, aka you pass their initial interview stages and now they want to see how you interact with the kids. Had I trialed, I would have rejected any offer of employment. It was an upscale family home in the Pacific Palisades. Typical rich family home. Most of what I worked in were worth between 8 and $15 million. My nanny car was a $150,000 luxury car, and that was probably the highlight of the job. It was very comfortable and nice to drive, but also where I had many, many breakdowns. I did everything and anything, although that wasn't in my job description. I worked 14-hour days and rotated days with another nanny on a four-on, four-off schedule, meaning I would work Monday through Thursday and the other nanny worked Friday through Monday, so then I worked Tuesday through Friday, and so on and so forth. This is so we evenly split the weekends. I did not like the kids. They were incredibly bratty, entitled, and did not respect authority. I was frequently hit, spit on, or just ignored, and my attempts at discipline were always undermined by their parents. I was very clearly the help without them having to verbalize it. 
One week, the other nanny called out for three days in a row, so I had to pick up her shifts, which meant I worked 100 hours that week. Another time, she didn't tell me the kids went on vacation, so I showed up and the dad threw me out of the house and I basically had to stay on call, but couldn't come in until he was ready to get up. I rarely saw the father, maybe five times over the entire course of my employment. I knew he went on benders when the wife was out of town. He had a separate bedroom, and it was common to find someone else's lingerie afterwards. I think the mom loved her kids, but had other priorities. The kids seemed very attached to her, though, and when she was around, I was very impressed with her parenting. She gave 100% of her attention to them. Both parents were Trump supporters. My life was a living hell in that job. Nothing I ever did was good enough. I was scrutinized for not doing enough if I was seen sitting, eating, or took a moment to go to the bathroom. I wore compression socks and insoles for the first time because my feet and shins hurt so much from constantly being on my feet. I lost almost 20 pounds and frequently woke up in the middle of the night with anxiety that my alarm clock wouldn't go off. I lived with my work phone, and to this day, I can't have my phone make noise because it gives me PTSD. I had absolutely no work-life balance. One time, it was my day off, and I went to the gym to take a yoga class and figured I would leave my work phone at home because I would only be gone an hour. On my way home, I called my partner and asked him to look at my work phone to see if I had any messages, and he said yes and read them to me. I immediately started panicking, raced home, and experienced one of the worst panic attacks I've ever had. I relied on my medication more than I ever did. I had a prescription for Xanax in the event I had a panic attack, and I also took medication for ADHD. I started every workday with an Adderall, a Xanax, and a triple-shot red-eye. There were many times I called friends crying because I couldn't take the stress of working there, but I was too afraid to quit and have them badmouth me to the nanny community. After my 100-hour work week, I said I couldn't continue picking up the other nanny shifts if it would continue like this, because it was impacting my ability to be a good nanny with the lack of sleep and constant exhaustion. I was then told I wasn't needed. Yes, I believe more money means more problems. The mom had a closet full of designer items that were worth more than some entry-level salaries, but she was sad. She couldn't buy a happy marriage or the life she portrayed. It showed me that although I didn't have the luxuries she did, when I came home to my tiny apartment, I was greeted by a partner that loves me through every high and low, and that was more important than driving a luxury vehicle. I started nannying when I was in college here in New York City. It was the summer after I graduated when I worked for a single mom in the Hamptons as the weekend nanny. So I was reached out to by the agency and like they set up a meeting with the woman, the mom, like the next day they were like, she's looking to hire someone immediately. I went to her apartment on the Upper East Side. We just chatted for a little bit. She seemed really nice and fun. I met the baby 
and I was hired and I was basically like set to start the next weekend, which was like a literally a couple of days after I graduated. It was like a really, it was a strange situation. So the woman I was working for was a single mom. She was like a bit older and basically like had gotten to the age where she just decided that she wanted a kid. But she really was like, oh, I want to have a good relationship with you. Like, we can make this fun. Like, let's just be like chill about it. Like, if you want to like, let's watch TV together. Like, let's gossip. Like, let's whatever. And like, I didn't really know how to like fully react to that. She was like, drink, like whatever you want, like, you know, like party, hang out. So that was like, kind of weird. Like there were no dress codes. There was no like codes at all. And I definitely like, probably dabbled a little bit too much in that. Like she was kind of a crazy partier. So there were definitely times when like there would be parties at her house with like her friends and stuff. There would be like Coke and drinks and like all this stuff. And like the baby would go to bed and then I would just like party with them. And like one time I hooked up with one of her friends in the pool and like I felt really uncomfortable about it. She was so nice. Like we would just talk about like life and stuff. And I remember like basically it was one of the first weekends I was there. It came up that I was like had ADHD and was on like ADD meds. And like she after that, like each weekend, she would like ask me for some of my like Vance or Adderall. Like she would just be like, oh, like I'm so tired. Like in the mornings, like I have stuff. Like, is there any way that I can just like have one or two? And I would just sort of be like, sure. Like I didn't know how to say no to that. Also, it was like, it wasn't like super uncomfortable, but it was a little bit like, how do you say no to your boss when they're like asking for that kind of thing? So basically like this woman, the reason she was rich is like her dad was super rich and kind of a lot of the drama and stuff like stems from that. So she just had a lot of like family problems. So her mom had died of cancer, like probably I think like a year and a half before I started nannying her. So a pretty recent death. And then her dad had gotten remarried shortly after to this like evil woman. So she had this like evil stepmother and she definitely too were like extreme Republicans, like literally so conservative that like at this was obviously well, when Trump was president, like mem- like the secret service would have to come over and vet the house because like they were friends with like members of Trump's cabinet. So like fully like these like conservative, powerful people were like hanging out. The baby that I was taking care of was a preemie. And my boss disclosed to me that when she went into early labor and then had her baby early, her stepmother said, you almost lost your baby and you had this baby early because like you just have bad energy and like you just create like a negative energy and like that's why like your baby almost died and I was like what the fuck like who says that and on top of that this woman had never had a single child of her own and this is like the true shocker and crazy part would not 
touch the baby. Like had never, I was there when the baby was like six months old to nine months old. Never once to that point had touched or held the baby. Like this is your grandchild and you will not touch it. Like you won't hold this baby. Like, and was so critical of like her stepdaughter's like parenting. She was a big partier and she was definitely like late thirties, early forties. And I just felt like the amount of like coke she did and drinking was definitely like a lot. But I think she really had like a hard life. Like her mom had died. And I do think like, you know, it, it really is yeah, kind of like more money, more problems. Once again, my degenerate angels, my name is Allie Weiss, and this has been another episode of Tales of Taboo. From the bottom of my heart, thank you so much for giving me your time and attention. And I know all of our contributors feel the exact same way. It is so healing and so special for all of us to have a place where we can come and air it all the fuck out. Listen, if you yourself have a story that you think qualifies as an exceptional experience, it does not have to be glamorous. It does not have to be beautiful. It does not have to have a happy ending. It just needs to color out Outside the lines of what society considers to be socially acceptable. If you've got one of these, please reach out to me. My email is ali at aliweisworld.com. Again, that's ali at aliweisworld.com. Similarly, if you want to write me a love letter, if you want to write me a hate note, if you want to send a ransom note to me, I will not be giving you my address so that you can do that, but you are free to reach out to me and let me know how you're feeling. This is an honest, open line. If you find yourself with a spare 30 seconds to 60 seconds, depending on how generous you're feeling, it would also mean the world to me if you could leave a rating and review for this show. I try not to jam too many advertisements down your throat. I never ask you guys for money. The single most helpful thing you can do in assisting the growth of this show is to leave a rating and review, even if it just says, Allie needs to take her meds, Allie needs to wax her eyebrows, Allie needs to shut the fuck up. I don't care. Every rating, every review is a good rating and review. And uh, I work hard. It's the least you can do. Again, thank you so much for being a part of my community. And uh, I will see and hear you next week. Bye. Bye.